I Lived with a Killer is part of the Real Crime Collection in the Reels Files on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Be sure to subscribe to get new episodes each Thursday. Then, go to Reels.com to find chilling programs like this when you watch TV. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com for the Real Crime series and specials you'll find only on Reels Channel. Larry Mazza seems like he'll make the perfect husband. I called my mom and I said, I just met the man I'm going to marry. But in reality, Larry is the protege of a dangerous gangster. Larry was seduced by a beautiful woman, then groomed by Greg Scarpa. I was feeling like part of something. I felt like these guys are my family. But when a bloody war breaks out on the streets of Brooklyn, there was numerous shootouts just became robots. It was like living a nightmare. Christine is forced to face the shocking truth. You're talking about a different person. It was like he had a double life. I was still so much in love with this man that I couldn't even see what was going on. For nearly a year in the early 90s, the streets of Brooklyn are bloodied by a vicious civil war within the Colombo crime family. As right-hand man to notorious Colombo enforcer Greg Scarpa, Larry Mazza is right in the middle of the action. With days spent driving around New York looking for rival gangsters to kill, Larry leads a very different life than the one his wife Christine believes. In 1985, 20-year-old Brooklyn native Christine graduates from beauty school, excited to start her life. One of the girls that I used to work with called me and said that she had a friend that was opening up a shop and she wanted somebody that was fresh out of school to teach them. The name of the shop was Trends. It was on 75th Street and 13th Avenue. It was upstairs. And if you looked out the window across the street was this little storefront that there was always guys hanging out and they would all come over to the shop and get their hair cut. One day, all of a sudden, this guy came upstairs to the shop. 25-year-old Larry Mazza is one of the men from the club across the street. And I was like so starstruck by this guy. He was like so handsome and he was wearing like a track suit and he just looked so amazing and he comes over and he goes i need a haircut and i was like okay well you know i'll cut your hair i just looked at him and i was like okay well you know see you again and as he was walking down the steps to go out i went to the phone and i called my mom and i said i just met the man i'm gonna marry she goes you're crazy you're out of your mind that's ridiculous so i says no well i says one day you'll see Larry and I started dating in December of 1985, and it just took off. We were always together and just going out and having a great time, and I was so in love with this man. He was just so handsome and sexy and happy and giddy all the time, always laughing, just joked around a lot. And by March, we were engaged. The 21-year-old bride has found the man of her dreams. Everything was very blissful. It was, that's all I could see, is that I'm in this sheer bliss, and it felt like a fantasy. 
But Christine's new husband has a secret and dangerous past that she knows nothing about. Like Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate, Larry meets his own Mrs. Robinson when he's still a teenager. Larry Mazza, author, The Life. I was not even 18 yet. I was working in a supermarket on 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst. And uh, it's very unique and one in a million thing. I was delivering groceries on weekends and I delivered to this woman named Linda, who was much older than me. Linda is 32 and married. Linda was very attractive, very beautiful woman, and she was sexy. Hi. And she would ask me to sit down and have a iced tea or a soda, and I would, and then we'd start talking. Eventually, after a few times, maybe five or six times of this, you start to feel that little chemistry, and we wound up having an affair. Ultimately, that affair led to me moving in a different direction. Linda offers to introduce Larry to her influential husband. She would start telling me that he can do a lot for you. You don't need to even finish school. He'll set you up in a business. He knows a lot of people. And ultimately, I got I got talked into it. One night at Linda's, Larry realizes what he's in for. When I got to meet Linda's husband, I remember saying to myself that this guy, if they had a picture of a mobster, he'd be up there. Dark sunglasses at night. Jewelry, sport jacket, dressed to the T, pulls up in a big black caddy. And then I knew something. I mean, you know, coming from Bensonhurst, you've seen that type of character. Linda's husband is Greg Scarpa, the most feared enforcer for the Colombo crime family. One of the five main families controlling organized crime in New York. Robert Landonich, retired NYPD detective. Greg Scarpa was known as the Grim Reaper. He was not only the most dangerous man in Brooklyn, but quite possibly the most dangerous man in New York City. I can meet someone. It was a very pleasant night. He was very likable. Nice to meet you. He was charming, but I just knew what he was. Fortunately for Larry, Scarpa is not angered by his relationship with Linda. He says, I know about you and Linda. So my heart started beating a little bit faster. He says, it can go on. I'm fine. But anybody outside of the three of us know, you and I will be killed. So that's when I learned officially that that was a death penalty. And he allowed it. Larry was seduced by a beautiful woman. Then he was subsequently slowly seduced and groomed by Greg Scarpa. Greg saw something that he could exploit and something that he could mentor. Over time, Scarpa draws the young Larry into his world. I'm sort of at that crossroad. What do I do now? So Greg suggests I start taking numbers. The numbers game is like a privately run lottery, and it's very lucrative. I started making anywhere from a couple of hundred a day to maybe three or four hundred a day. I got really good at it. I developed a ton of accounts. And that was how the door opened to me thinking this was going to be a great life. Because I was making money and I was a big shot in the neighborhood at 20, 21 years old. But Larry soon learns that there's more to working for Greg Scarpa than running numbers. Greg was my mentor. 
And he was a very demanding mentor. Anybody in his crew was going to be a gangster or be gone, one way or the other. Like the young Colangelo from the film A Bronx Tale, Larry Mazza is groomed to become a mobster. The very first time I was involved in this most tiny way was Greg asked me to give somebody a flat tire. I got there early in the morning and I gave the guy a flat tire. The next day's newspaper said man killed fixing flat. Fixing his flat, they shot him. But Larry soon graduates from errand boy to full-fledged member of Scarpa's crew. A lot of times when it's a guy like myself that is just getting into this section of the life, you'll be put on a one that there's a personal attachment that you feel you need to do. Greg Scarpa and, and Linda Shiro had a daughter, and she was driven to school each day by a, a local uh, car service. And one day the driver made the terrible mistake of making a pass at her. Not only was she underage, which in and of itself would have made this egregious, but she was Greg Scarpa's daughter. So we're at the club later on, and Greg comes over to the table. Larry, take a ride with me. We go back to the car service, and we want to know who the driver was. Greg convinces him to come out and take a walk with us. Greg is walking up front alone, and the rest of us are behind. He goes into the park. And I'll never forget, I knew one of his little tricks was he would take his hanky out to signal. Once he did that, I told the guys he wants us. And then we just beat this guy to a pulp. I mean, close to death. After returning to the club, Scarpa decides he wants the driver dead. Larry puts together a plan to make it happen. Larry and others would call this cab company every day for a ride, and the cab company just kept sending different drivers, even though they were asking for this one driver. On the day that this one driver finally showed up, they had this whole plan in motion where they were going to ambush him on a particular street, and they did, and this man wound up running for his life but being shot to death in the middle of a somewhat busy block. This is the first case where Larry actually took part in a conspiracy to commit a murder, where he had no choice but to know what he was doing and how deep he was in. I went back to the house and they were kissing and congratulating and I saw Linda beaming and so happy that I was part of it and that I sort of started making my bones, so to speak. In a strange way, I was feeling like part of something. I felt like these guys are my family. You know, this secret brotherhood. Larry has been groomed to be a killer, but he soon finds that the mob life is not all it's cracked up to be. I was getting a little soured on the business. I was in a little bit of a hole. You know, it's not all peaches and cream. You can lose a lot of money in the gambling business too. And I had to take a loan from my father to satisfy some debts I had and keep my good name. At the age of 25, Larry decides to leave the mob life behind and go straight and heads across the street from Scarpa's club to get a haircut at Trends. The first time I saw Christine, I went up for a haircut and we hit it off. We went on a date and fairly quickly we were married. The newlyweds settle down to enjoy married life. 
with Christine oblivious to her husband's dangerous and scandalous past. When Larry and I first got married, his dad had told him, well, you know, you're married now, you have to earn money. So he decided to go to insurance school. And he did insurance for quite some time. I was back around normal people again, trying to build up my insurance business. Larry struggles to build a legitimate business for himself and his new wife. But his relationship with his former mentor remains tight. I always thought that Larry's relationship with Greg was a little odd. I didn't understand why Larry would go any time that Greg called him. He would jump and run out and, you know, Greg called me, I gotta go. Uh, oh, Greg is beeping me, I gotta go pick him up, I gotta take him somewhere. When Scarpa falls ill, he turns to his former protege. I still felt a tightness with Greg and Linda, and he came very close to death. And they needed help. He needed help to go be driven to hospitals. We were sitting in hospitals for hours and hours. So that sort of opened the door, and I started helping Greg out after he was sick. It was like family again. The ailing Scarpa makes Larry an offer he can't refuse. In an attempt to bring Larry back into his world, Greg Scarpa, who actually didn't respect many people, but he seemed to respect Larry, he offered him one-third of his lucrative numbers business. Still struggling to make it in insurance, Scarpa's offer is too enticing for Larry to turn down. He began making money hand over fist, and he was right back in to the life that he had tried to get out of. But growing tension in the Colombo crime family means Larry will soon be called on for more than just numbers. Brooklyn native Larry Mazza spends years as the right-hand man to violent mobster Greg Scarpa, known on the streets as the Grim Reaper. His new wife, Christine, has no idea about her husband's ties to the dangerous gangster. When Larry and I first got married, I believed that he had a collision shot. And then he couldn't do that anymore. And he went on to pursue insurance. But Larry finds that going legit isn't easy. It's very difficult when you are living on a certain level in this life. You're making money, you're getting all the respect and getting these perks. To have to go back and just take a regular job. It takes a lot of years to be a successful insurance broker. And patience was not one of my <laughs> best virtues. When Greg Scarpa falls ill, Larry takes over running Scarpa's numbers business. All of a sudden, there was all this money there. It was like, here, count this with me one night. And I was like, what's this from? He goes, yeah, we had a good night. I just didn't think much of it. I didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I didn't really know too much about it. So I didn't question anything. But Larry also jumps at an opportunity he can pursue with his wife. A friend of my brother's came to me with an idea about opening up a pool room. We opened up the pool room and it was a big success. Larry was still striving for some degree of legitimacy, trying to make his marriage work, which is a very tough thing to do when you're in the gangster life. I'll be playing the winner, right? We called it Rack 'em Up. It was a family-based place. The parents were happy that they saw a couple there. They were kind of like a mom and pop owners. 
and they felt safe sending their children there. The pool room was run very, very strictly. We had local police come in and thank us because some of the younger kids were not hanging out on the street corners and they knew our reputation at that time. We wouldn't tolerate drugs. And Christine took good care of that. But as the bookmaking partnership between Larry and Greg Scarpa grows, Scarpa begins frequenting the Mazza's pool hall. I wasn't as intimidated as I was earlier when I had met Greg Scarpa. He would kid around more with me. Hey, Chrissy, babe. I still had a feeling about him that uh, he made me nervous, but not as nervous as I used to be. But Christine remains suspicious of the closeness between Larry, Greg Scarpa, and Scarpa's wife, Linda. I always thought there was something strange about Larry, Linda, and Greg's relationship. I think it was more than everybody thought. Anything that Greg or Linda needed, Larry would have to run and do everything for them. Hey, Chrissy, baby. Linda treated me like I was nothing. She talked down to me and I felt intimidated by her. I felt that she didn't like me. I didn't know why. Christine and Larry's family business is a success. But soon, pregnancy keeps Christine at home. With his wife away, Larry finds it easier to operate his numbers business from the pool hall. I was back in the numbers, so I would leave to pick up numbers and bring them back. I have them on me. Make life easier. Some guys would just bring the numbers to me at the pool room because I'm there all day. Over time, the mob presence at the pool hall grows. We had a little section now, a couple of tables where we were playing cards. Some other guys now came over to hang out there. There was bookmakers. So now their clients were coming in and out. And they were starting to leave envelopes. As the mob once again takes over Larry's life, Christine gives birth to their son. Larry was a great dad. He was always there checking on him, making sure that he was okay, and giving him a bottle, and just loving him and bouncing him. And he was very happy to be a dad. But Larry's happiness is short-lived. Within weeks of his son's birth, a bitter civil war breaks out in the Colombo crime family. The Colombo War started when Junior Persico, who was a longtime, very well-respected, vicious gangster, was sent to jail for what was definitely going to be a life term. The reins were turned over to Vicarina. At some point, Vicarina was asked to step down. He got very comfortable in his position and didn't want to step down. And before long, there were two factions that were fighting to be the hierarchy of that organization. As a captain in the Colombo crime family, Greg Scarpa knows that he and his crew can get pulled in at any moment. At that point, it was more like a Cold War. Other families asked in a significant way that there'd be no shooting, it's not good for anybody, and nobody really wanted it. But I remember Greg every day telling me at the pool room, when he would come, a shooting war is inevitable. It's inevitable. Scarpa does his best to stay neutral amid the growing tension. So Vicarina goes to this consulier, Jimmy Angelina, and asks him to approach all the capos. Because the only way to oust the boss 
every single captain, every single one, has to unanimously vote him down. So one night, Jimmy Angelina sends a message to Greg. He wants to talk to him. He starts telling Greg that Vic wants to know where the Capos will go if he decides he wants to take this position officially. Where would you stand? Greg answers him and says, I'm too weak. I'm sick. Uh, I'm just going to stay home. I don't want to really be part of this. Wherever the chips fall, that's where I go. But as the tensions escalate, staying neutral becomes impossible. Within a week, Jimmy Angelina disappears. Consul, yeah, he's gone. Nobody knows where he is. And we're headed for big troubles. Eventually, an attempt is made on Greg's life. They botch the attempt. But from that second on, we had vests, we had tons of weapons, different cars, traveled in groups. It was war. We were at war. Did you know you can stream the I Lived with a Killer TV series, as well as Reel's companion programs, Murder Made Me Famous, and Autopsy on Roku and Fire TV? Well, you can. Just download the Reel's app and subscribe. If you've got Prime Video, Reel's is on Amazon channels, too. I Lived with a Killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. Find Reels on your TV by going to Reels.com. That's R-E-E-L-Z.com. In 1991, an explosive civil war breaks out in the Colombo crime family and spills over into the streets of Brooklyn. Christine Mazza has no idea that her husband Larry is right in the middle of the bloody conflict. She's just given birth to their first child. It was one of the most heartfelt feelings that I've ever had because I saw Larry cry. And he was just so excited that we had a son. But as right-hand man to Greg Scarpa, the notorious Colombo captain known as the Grim Reaper, Larry is pressed into action when an attempt is made on Scarpa's life. We wound up finding out who the crew was that was responsible. It was uh, a heavyweight captain in, on Arena's side. His team of hitters came and they botched the attempt. So we now started wearing vests and we knew we had to retaliate. I said, we don't answer back and do something. They're going to just keep coming after us because we're not just going to sit around the pool room waiting to get hit. Larry and the rest of the crew hit the streets looking for payback. There was numerous shootouts. We just became robots just driving around looking. We saw them and it was crazy. It was surreal. It was like living a nightmare. As the killing escalates... Larry takes pains to hide the danger from his wife. Christine didn't know. The in-laws didn't know. It's not something, you know, they would, everybody would worry. I mean, I was worried enough. And I had the kid now, too, you know, so it's definitely trying times. But Christine is soon confronted with proof that Larry is up to more than just running a pool hall. Larry would leave in the morning, and I have no idea where he used to go. He just went out for the day. One night he came home and I saw he was wearing a bulletproof vest. And he was, yeah, I, I need to wear this just to make sure. And I'm like, make sure of what? And he's like, don't, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Okay, 
Everything's fine. Larry's reassurances do little to calm Christine's nerves. It was terrifying for me, knowing every time that he left the house, I didn't know if he was coming home. It was just insane. You know, I had this baby, and it was just petrifying to me that I didn't know what was going on. And he didn't want to talk about it. He just always kept reassuring me that things were okay, and don't worry, don't worry about anything. But Christine starts to take precautions where her infant son is concerned. One day, Larry was going to go out, and he says, oh, maybe I'll take Lawrence with me today. And I was, I don't think so. You know, Lawrence isn't feeling too well. You always have that mother's instinct that, no, I don't think it's a good idea. That day, I pulled out of my house, and as I got down the block, I was watching my mirrors. There was nobody right behind me. As I got closer to the stop sign, there was a car behind me, and I recognized it. It was Chicky's car, and Chicky was a known shooter in the arena faction. When I got to the corner, 99 out of 100 times, I make a left to go to Greg's house. That day, I had to go to Manhattan, so I made a right to go to the train station. And as I made the right, I see a van with a lot of body work on it. I recognize it. It was their shooters in the back of the van. So that van now has to make a U-turn. So now Chicky's right behind me, and the van is right behind him. As long as I keep moving, I'm okay. I don't have my vest on this day because I'm going to Manhattan, and I only have a little pistol. I make a quick ride into a gas station. I jump out over the car, and I put my gun on top of the car. They had me outnumbered, and I would have been dead. But none of them wanted a bullet in their heads or in a chest or whatever. So none of them got out. They drove off. And that was it. But if I'd have made a left, I'd be a goner today. At home, Christine continues to worry about her family's safety. It was a crazy time. There was so many things going on, and I was just a possessive mom, and I just didn't want Lawrence to be out of my sight. It's hard enough being hunted just because of the life I was in. But to have a wife and a son and a family that is going to have to deal with that if you get killed is very tough. It's very tough. As the Colombo War heats up, innocent victims are killed in the crossfire. On December 8th, 1991, a group of arena loyalists went to a bagel store looking for an intended target, and they wound up killing an innocent teenager that had nothing whatsoever to do with the mob life. When that young boy was killed, we were told in no uncertain terms they wanted us outside of the precincts every night in cars, driving around, pulling everybody over, searching cars, knocking on doors, hitting social clubs, and let them know that we were going to stop at nothing until this war ended. The increased attention from law enforcement does little to stop the rival Colombo factions. In January 1992, another threat is made against Larry's life. This time by one of Vic Arena's foot soldiers, Nikki Black. Nikki went to my Uncle Albert and told him, talk to your nephew and convince him to come over to our side or I'm going to kill him. The next day, Nikki's our number one target. The Grim Reaper and his crew lay in wait for their rival outside a mob social club. 
I see Nikki Black's car pull up. It's a Toyota Land Cruiser or something like that. But I know the truck. See that guy? So I say, that's Nikki Black. Greg's answer was, where? Let's get him. So we start driving down the block. As we get up close to him, he pulls out. He gets to the light, makes a left on Avenue U. We have a siren in the window and coffee cups and binoculars. We would make him believe we were surveillance like we were cops if somebody saw us. Thinking he's being stopped by police, Nikki Black pulls over to the side of the road. Greg has that rifle in the front, and he can't get it out the window, and he's fumbling with the lock, and all this clip comes falling out. I have a shotgun in the back, and I was ready this time because this was personal. I put the shotgun right where Greg told me to put it, and Nikki was gone. That sent shockwaves around the Colombo family. When law enforcement arrives at the scene, even the detectives are surprised. I responded to that scene and remember it vividly. It was one of the most gruesome murder scenes I'd ever personally bore witness to. A shotgun does so much damage no matter where it strikes a body, but this one actually struck Nikki Black in the back of the head. And there was brain matter sprayed all over the car in the middle of a very, very busy avenue. It was a wild scene. There must have been three or four hundred people that were getting this up close and personal look at a man's head that was literally blown open. As the authorities step up their efforts to quell the violence, the FBI pays a visit to the Maza household. I had a knock at the door one day, and it was uh, the FBI. They walked into my kitchen and had asked if I had knowledge of where Larry was. And I was like, I don't know where he was. And he left, you know, in the morning, and I hadn't seen him. At the time, there were some things in the newspaper that people were getting arrested. There was a shooting going on in the streets, and they were just rounding up a lot of different people. I was sitting there, I was feeding my child, I says, I can't talk about any of this right now. I have to feed my child. And they were like, okay. I had asked Larry, why were the FBI coming here? What's going on? He was like, you know, it's a business thing, and don't worry about it. You don't have to worry about anything that's going on. Christine decides to take her husband's explanation on faith. I pretty much accepted everything that Larry said because, you know, this is my husband. This is the man that I love. I don't think he would keep anything from me there's no way to disassociate the two meaning your regular family or the family that you took the oath for imagine me telling christine or anybody that i'm heavily into this colombo war that you're reading about i'm very possibly the number two target because how close i am to greg that i'm getting people from the other side threatening me that they're going to kill me if i don't come on their side you lie you lie You have no choice. By the summer of 1992, authorities finally put an end to the fighting. Vic Arena and dozens of others are thrown in jail. Greg Scarpa, who's in very bad health, is allowed to stay at home under home confinement with an ankle bracelet, but he still finds a way to get in trouble. When Scarpa's son gets into an argument with some local drug dealers... Scarpa once again calls on Larry to help him seek revenge. I tell Greg, cool down, let everybody relax, we'll find the guy tomorrow and we'll straighten it all out. He agrees with me. But a short time later, 
The phone rings. I answered the phone, and it was Linda on the other side calling for Larry. And she says, get me Larry. I need to speak to him right away. So he gets on the phone. He goes, okay, okay, calm down. I'll be there in a couple minutes. He runs out of the house. I says, what, what's going on? He says, I, I, I got to run and take care of something. Hours later, Larry returns, frantic. I had fallen asleep. I wake up, and he is covered in blood. Larry Mazza has survived the kill-or-be-kill civil war in the Colombo crime family. He's settling in for a quiet evening at home with his wife, Christine. When he gets a call that his boss, Greg Scarpa, the notorious mobster known as the Grim Reaper, needs his help. And it was Linda on the other side calling for Larry. And she says, I, get me Larry, I need to speak to him right away. Greg Scarpa was home under house arrest. He learned that his son had got into a beef with uh, some other teenagers that he was involved in a drug deal with. When Greg heard this, he was enraged. No member of his family was going to be disrespected. And he left the house and went in search of these errant youngsters, wound up getting into a blazing shootout with them. One of the teenagers was killed, and Greg Scarpa was shot in the eye. As I get in the house, I see Greg on the phone. He's got his bracelet on his foot, so he's not supposed to leave the house, and he's got a scotch in front of him. And he's holding a white towel that's turning red. And he's telling the probation department, I never left. I've been home the whole night. And hangs up. He convinces them that he never left. Larry rushes his bleeding mentor to the hospital. The nurse comes over, she puts him on the gurney, she wheels him in, and I left. A shaken Larry rushes home to his wife, Christine. I had fallen asleep, and I wake up, and he is covered in blood. It was terrifying. I'm like, what, what, what happened to you? Did you get stabbed? Did you get shot? What, what, what is it? He goes, don't, don't worry about it. He goes, it's not my blood. It's Greg's blood. I said... Oh, my God, is everybody okay? He says, no. He says, I just dropped him off at the hospital, and that's it. Let's just pack up, and we'll have a nice family vacation. Larry has hit the breaking point and wants desperately to take his wife and baby and leave town. I told Christine that I'm going to go get my license, change it over to Florida and get my tags done down there, and try to live there and maybe get into some business and stuff like that. We went to Disney, we went to SeaWorld, we went to the beach every day. We went down to the pool at the same time so that Lawrence could have his nap underneath the little canopy. We really had a wonderful bonding experience as a family. But Christine's intuition is once again heightened. I went into the drugstore and I felt this uneasiness. I felt like, like there was somebody hovering over me. And Larry says, oh, no, you're, you're just imagining it. Don't, don't worry about it. It's all in your mind. Enjoy being in Florida and having such a good time. I would take Christine and Lawrence to Disney World. But on the way, I would pass the sheriff's department, go in, get my tags done, and, and go. All of a sudden, we were surrounded by FBI cars. And it was just crazy. It was terrifying to see them take him away. And I'm standing there 
by myself with my son in the car and not knowing what was going on and what was happening. It's just unreal. You can't believe that this is your life. This is happening to you at the moment. Larry is indicted with fellow Colombo crime family members for RICO violations that include 140 counts of conspiracy to commit murder. There's no words that can describe the sadness. All I did was cry because they took him from me. But once Larry is extradited back to New York, Christine learns the extent of her husband's lies. When I was finally able to go and see him, he said, they're looking to give me 25 to life. And like the blood ran from my body because when you hear things that you don't want to hear, you kind of go deaf. I couldn't believe that my husband was involved with murders. I was still so much in love with this man that I couldn't even see what was going on. It was like, no, you're talking about a different person. This is not my husband. It was kind of like he had a double life. Outside, running the streets, and then being at home with me, loving and caring and just wanting to do everything for his family. But one piece of truth is undeniable. He told me, listen, there's a couple of things that are going to come out, and I had an affair with Linda. You hear something like that, and you're like, really? I just could not believe that this man was telling me this. This man that I was so in love with, you're telling me that you had an affair with her. Larry assured me that everything was over. Then you start to piece the things together. Why Linda is so cold towards me. Greg, the way he was, he used to joke around a little bit, but now it's like it was a little inside joke between the three of them. And I was the last to find out about it. It was a little triangle. And if I could have been told before that this had happened, I would have been in a position to say, no, I really don't want to be around these people. And I don't think it's right. But the way that it is, you know, so many things are secretive, you don't tell what's going on. Christine is reeling as she learns the truth about the person she trusted most. But soon, Larry is in the same position. After about a year and bouncing around from different prisons, I get in a unit with Victorina. And Vic tells me, did you hear Greg's a wreck? This is what are you talking about? He says, yeah, we heard. It's been going on a long time. He's working with the government. I went after him. I said, you can't make declarations like that. That's a man's honor. I got to protect him. There's no way he's a rat. Impossible. But Larry's indignation is short-lived. Like Jack Nicholson's gangster character in The Departed, it's revealed that Greg Scarpa has been an FBI informant for decades. A visit from Linda urging him to cooperate with the authorities leaves Larry more confused than ever. Now my head's spinning. This woman brought me into the life. The guy that mentored me and groomed me is in the newspapers talking about being a rat. She's telling me I should cooperate. I still don't. Larry still believed in this code of a murder. He still had respect for Greg Scarpa, even though Greg Scarpa had led him down into this really deep hole. 
But then when he learned that Greg Scarpa had been a government informant for so many years, the dismay and the disappointment that he experienced was overwhelming. Then, for Larry, a shocking deathbed confession changes everything. Brooklyn native Larry Mazza has been groomed into the mob life by Greg Scarpa, the legendary New York gangster known as the Grim Reaper. Never dreamed that I could be a killer, but I wound up in this life, and there's only one way to conduct yourself under a guy like Greg, was kill or be killed. In prison for his role in the Colombo crime family war, Larry prepares for a long separation from his wife, Christine, and infant son. All I did was cry because they took him from me. I knew. I told Christine and my family early on, I said, this is not going to be easy. I told Christine she should leave. You know, it's going to be a lot of years, a lot of years. But when it's revealed that Greg Scarpa is an FBI informant, everything changes. I had no intentions of cooperating with the government. But my mentor made it easy for me. Greg Scarpa had made a deathbed confession in which he, oddly enough, even though he had been Larry's mentor and certainly was always the steward in their relationship, he blamed a lot of the violence in the war on Larry. Betrayed. Larry agrees to cooperate with prosecutors and receives a 10-year sentence. Christine continues to stand by her husband and make sure that their son maintains a bond with his father. I brought Lawrence almost every single weekend to see his dad. It was very difficult to explain to him where his father was because he was so little. And I, you know, would tell him, we're going to go see daddy at work. I used to cover the words, prison on the floor, so he wouldn't see it. And uh, he just enjoyed being with his dad. It's sad to have to lie to your kid when you teach them not to lie. Shaken by the ordeal, Christine finds a way to move forward with her life. It was a very, very difficult time for me, and I was afraid all the time. I became strong because... I just needed to make sure that my child was happy and do the best that I can to raise him. Larry serves his term in prison and is released in 2002. He has an emotional reunion with his 11-year-old son. I'd never forget that first day came running down to the plane. That was hardest part. Everybody else was adults. He wasn't. He didn't deserve He was out of father. I deserved what I got. The Maza family attempts to pick up where they left off, living in Florida. I still wanted that happy family, waiting for Larry to come home. But they find that the years apart are difficult to overcome. I'm sure it was a very difficult time for Larry while he was away. I gave him the space to talk to me whenever he was ready to talk about things. And uh, it just, he didn't want to talk about anything. He wasn't as happy as he was, didn't smile all the time, which I wasn't as happy either because, you know, my husband was upset. All of a sudden, we were arguing over 
things that we would never argue about in the past. Ten years is a long time. People come out different. People change over those ten years. Larry and I just became two different people. Our lives went separate ways. Larry and Christine divorce, but remain friends throughout. Larry said to the judge, "Goes, Your Honor, you know, do you mind if I sit next to her?" We actually were holding hands and went through the whole thing. Very sad. It was very sad, but something that that we needed to do. We just went our separate ways, and we do what we have to to make sure that our child is happy. These days, I am a floral designer, and I enjoy every minute of that. It makes me feel good to know that I'm sending something to someone that makes them happy. In these years now, I've done so much. I own a gym, and I wrote my book. I got so much great stuff happening. It's 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 hard to live in the past, you know. Move forward. The most important thing is Lawrence. He's grown to be a good young man. There's a lot of things you you know you want to tell your kids, but just to be be on the side of good, be the good guy. Everything you live through makes you stronger. I know that's been said in different ways, but it's true. I don't have any regrets. Everything happens for a reason, and if it didn't turn out the way that it did, we wouldn't have Lawrence. I lived with a killer comes from the real crime fans at Reels Channel. To find more original programs like this when you watch TV, go to reels.com. That's r e e l z.com to find us on your system. You'll also find extras from the TV version of I Lived with a Killer, including tell-all interviews with family members and crime scene photos. You'll get only on Reels Channel.